Hello, and welcome back to It's Symbolic, where I fail to think of a good tagline before we start recording. Oh, can I? I'm Jacob Savage. I have a good lead-in, I think. Oh, go go can right I... ahead. Uh, oh, I'm Ben, by the way. Uh, so, I actually had to rush here. Uh, I was getting back from all the exciting stuff I do on a day-to-day basis, so I had to rush back here to record. He was playing music uh, games. And I, well, literally, yes. And I, and I got a package, uh, on the way here. I haven't gotten the chance to open it yet, but I thought, uh, like unboxings and that sort of thing are like a really fun thing to do. So do you mind if I go ahead and do that now? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. I think this will be really fun. Let's see if the microphone can pick this up. How'd that sound? Did it sound good? Yeah. What if it's the microphone that arrived? What if it's recording from inside the box? Holy shit. That's scary. Think Maybe about a second thought I won't open this. <laughs> Never mind. I'll save this for myself. It'll be int- it'll be a hook for the next episode. I'll reveal it then. <laughs> there we go. We'll just What did Ben receive in the mail? Our new recurring feature. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. You can you can introduce yourself now. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. Like I'm... <laughs> All right. This is well... what happens when you don't have a good lead in, by the way. So you better think. Yeah, of I, now I think on. our segue is broken. <laughs> so. <laughs> Just get right into it. Today, we're going to be talking about the shags. I take it neither of you had heard of the shags before we decided to cover this? I had heard of them. I'd never actually listened to their... uh album before now i had no idea and i'm you warned me before we started recording that there's a story behind all this because uh i listened to it after you told us that this would be the topic of discussion and now i'm a bit anxious to voice my opinions because it'll be like what if there's like some tragic story behind it or something and i end up looking like an asshole (laughs) oh don't worry you're gonna look like an asshole anyway fuck man well i guess that's sort of my mo so that's not too bad. The lovable asshole. That's pretty much what every millennial perpetually exists in these days. That's fair. Anyway, so I'm going to tell you a story. Starts with a man named Austin Wiggin. When he Should was I know young. that name? No. No, you shouldn't. It'll... Okay, well, that's a relief. I'll, I'll be saying it, but. <laughs> make, it, make it clear when it's something that you want a reaction for, okay? Oh, you'll know. <laughs> when. When he was young, his mother performed a palm reading on him. You know, typical mother-son bonding experiences. And she gave him three predictions. One, that he would marry a woman with strawberry blonde hair. And two, that he would have two sons after she died. The she being the mother, not the wife. Do you think that he had to tell the person he married this before he married them? Like, hey... If you, like, you know, I really like you and all, but if I marry you, you're gonna die. So, you're gonna <laughs> die really young. <laughs> no, no, the the mother would oh. die, not the wife. Oh, you know what? Considering they have birth after the death, that does make more sense. <laughs> yeah. No, he was big into necromancy, but... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel like both of those are pretty easily self-fulfilling prophecies. Just, you know, I'll only date women with strawberry blonde hair. And oh, kill yourself? Dead. I'm gonna try going for sons now. <laughs> but the third prediction... Oh my god. The third prediction is the important one. The prediction was that his daughters would form a popular music group. Oh no. So, 
1968, after seeing the popularity of music groups since this was around the time of the British invasion when rock and roll, the soft rock stuff, really got started, he pulled his children out of school. Oh no. Bought them instruments. And then had them receive vocal and music lessons. Oh, is this just how things were in the 60s? Hmm. Apparently they had no interest in forming a band, but Austin was a harsh disciplinarian. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> but you feel like an asshole now, don't you? This is, this is, I mean, honestly, the angles that I were thinking of, I, I was thinking would make me be more of an asshole than like, like if it was, okay, because if, this is all like, you know, involuntary, then it's sort of like being critical of it doesn't feel so bad because they'll probably be like, yeah, that's fair. As opposed to like, we're really pouring our heart and soul into this. And so I feel better now, honestly. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The band was named the Shags after a somewhat popular hairstyle of the era, Uh which none of the girls had. so. (laughs) (laughs) So did they specify where it comes from then? Like why they chose that? Um, not really. I've heard one of them later hypothesize that it could also be a reference to the film The Shaggy Dog. But <laughs> Okay. Yes. So, as I said, the band was composed of his daughters, Dorothy or Dot and Betty on guitar and vocals, Helen on drums, and occasionally their sister Rachel on bass. Dot mm-hmm. is also credited with writing and composing all of their songs. Mm-hmm. And... Around this time, I think the oldest of them was around 21, 22, and the youngest was like 17, so. They debuted officially at a New Hampshire talent show, given New Hampshire in the 60s. I I don't know where I'm going with this joke. I don't know enough about the culture of the era. (laughs) Of the area. <laughs> you, can, you can you can give it a shot. I feel like the odds of someone from the area going to correct you on that are pretty slim. I have family there. Yeah, but I feel like they probably would have would have stopped listening after maybe me doing the stupid package thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, naturally they were widely mocked. They did like a cover of some popular country song, but it did not go over well. Regardless, thanks to their father, they got a regular gig as the house band of the town hall in their home of Fremont for their weekly Saturday night dances. Apparently, almost all of the teenagers in town would show up. Some of them would dance, but most of them would heckle and throw things. Oh no. Maybe this is sad, actually. (laughs) There you go. In 1969, their official debut, like I said, 1968, 1969... Austin decided he wanted to make a record, so he took most of the family savings and brought the girls to a studio in Massachusetts. Oh, I don't like this. The engineer told him that they weren't ready for professional recording when he heard them rehearse, but Austin replied that he wanted to get them while they were hot. Which, one, is maybe think about your choice of phrasing when you're talking about your own daughters. Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to go there. I, I'm not saying that was what he meant. I'm <laughs> saying that it sounds bad. It sure does. I mean, I don't but, think there's any way he could really come out of this situation looking good. So yeah. yeah. The album was recorded in one day with the deal that they made with a new startup record company that apparently just happened to be hanging around the building at the time. Third World Recordings. 
And that was how the album Philosophy of the World was created. Oh, the rich people want what the poor people's got. And the poor people want what the rich people's got. And the skinny people want what the fat people's got. And the fat people want what the skinny people's got. Boy, was it created. Yes, this album is interesting. It opens with the title track and you know immediately what you're getting into based off of both the quality of the instrumentals and the lyrics and the singing. For some reason, I feel like the singing is done in a... For some reason, maybe they're just really flat, but to me it feels like a dialect that has since only been matched by Tommy Wiseau. (laughs) That's a little harsh. (laughs) It feels very like... Like Northeastern. You can never see anybody in this world. Oh, the girls here Some tracks stand out given that they sort of alternate between these thought provoking pieces, these clear attempts to emulate what was popular on the radio at the time, and novelty songs to end all novelty songs. I just want to bring up the best of one of the best of these novelty songs it's halloween somehow it didn't catch on as the halloween party hit they might have thought it would be um you'll see but go figure it's no monster mash this album was released in march <laughs> <laughs> It was recorded in January at the latest. Well, you know, maybe if you let it sit for a bit, it makes it all the more tasty when it's when it really gets to Halloween. You have all year to just think about, like, man, I can't wait to play this on Halloween. Exactly. And, I mean, with one line that is possibly the best line of any Halloween song. Why even Dracula will be there? Yeah, they really thought that one was killer. They have that's the one where they have like the music cut out and they it's I know. just like These yeah. girls are psyched for Dracula. Well, that's understandable. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Like, they could include him. Dracula's in the public domain. Those yeah. guys know how to party. <laughs> yeah, if I was like if I was going to a party and Dracula was be was gonna be there, I'd be pretty fucking stoked too. That'd be all I'd be talking about. <laughs> Maybe out of fear, because just, like, from a public safety perspective, that's not super (laughs) great. But, you know, it'll definitely be spoken about. All the kids are happy and gay. There doesn't seem to be a cloud in their way. But when it's over and they get all their fun, they wish that Halloween had just begun. There's also What Are Parents? Which, <laughs> given what we know about the family situation, having a song about how parents know best, and that you should always listen to them. Boy, that really puts it into a new perspective now yeah, that, that I think sounds... about it. Some kids think their parents are cool just because they want them to obey certain rules. Dot still claims that she wrote it, but there are rumors that it was their father. Keep in mind, a couple years after this, Helen, the drummer, married. She kept it a secret for three months. And then, when Austin found out, he went after the husband with a shotgun. 
<sighs> yeah. That's pretty I, much all you can say about that. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's sort of like, this guy is very clearly unstable, so what, what more do I expect from him? It's interesting. Perhaps the most interesting of these tracks is the one that would eventually become their theme song, in a sense. My Pal Foot Foot. That one certainly left me with a lot of questions, at the very least. I yeah. To answer your main question, Foot Foot was a cat. Oh. Would that have been apparent if I had listened to the lyrics more closely? No, it wouldn't have. The song is just about how Foot Foot goes missing, and he's only referred to as their pal. Okay. But well, that's, he I goes I missing, they look for him, they find him. I mean, I most definitely refer to my cat as my pal, so that's fair. I should have been able to tell. Apparently it was based off of their actual cat, which based hmm. off of some findings I found was a double amputee. Oh. And the cat ran away. And they never saw it again. Little, little brother. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no! Oh, oh brother! Yeah. Sorry, I had to get it in there. You know our quota. Yeah, they outright said just, yeah, we never saw him again, so I wanted to give it a happier ending. Oh my god. So they find him. It pretty much exemplifies everything the album is known for. Everyone's playing on a different time signature. <laughs> I definitely noticed that throughout the, the album. <laughs> the lyrics are sort of repetitive. Throughout the album, you'll notice a lot of rhyming the word home with the word Rome. <laughs> Which is the focal point of like two or three different songs. <laughs> Just the subject matter, which pretty much sums up everything because I have to keep in mind the songwriter was like 19 or 20 when this was made. So. Oh. It's. <laughs> Not exactly great, but well, it's that it's that sort of period where things are a bit introspective, and to be honest, when they're not necessarily forcing rhymes, one of the most commonly cited points for this album is humanist lyrics, in a sense. I'm, I'm not saying that she's a good songwriter, but huh. Dot Wiggin could have made a decent slam poet. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I can, I can buy that. Yeah. The rich people want what the poor people's got. And the poor people want what the rich people yeah, pretty, got. Pretty bold move making that their their uh, titular track. Yeah. 
was there anything else you wanted to discuss since yeah god i mean it's hard to say i'm still kind of wrapping my mind around it (laughs) yeah that's very fair to say because i mean it's not like i won't say that there isn't some like individual merit to each of the parts on their own i guess like there's there's some level of competency if you isolate the guitar playing or isolate the drumming but the way it all comes together it's just entirely disjointed like there's clearly no like level of coordination or just the fact that yeah every every single part is on different time is like there's just something fundamentally not being understood there which is interesting. I don't know if it's the I don't know if it's just the tracks that were officially uploaded to YouTube. It is actually in stereo with the guitar track from one side and the drums from the other, so you can easily isolate them. Oh really? Which, yeah, it's an interesting experience. Huh. The question that sort of comes to me at this point is like why? Why are we talking about it, you know? Like, does that mean that this caught on among some group or something? I'm a bit lost there. Yeah, it kind of did. Really? Yeah. it's It kind of got rediscovered at a certain point. Yeah, No so, kidding. Yeah. And, this is, and in like a pre, pre-digital age? But, okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Third World Recordings printed a thousand copies of the album, and 900 of them disappeared in the warehouse. <laughs> Along with the producer. Well, I guess that checks out. And the money. Oh. Well, yeah, it's a common theory that he just took the albums and the money and ran. Yeah, that pretty much lines up with what you've told me. Yeah, the company folded soon after, and the remaining copies were either sold locally or given away to family and friends. The girls even said that they didn't have a copy of the album. I got it. Well, uh, if nothing else, they probably made for good coasters for their family members for a while. Oh, that's just mean. Well, what else are you going to do with them? You could put it in a frame or something. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. And you for the record, these are these albums are like ridiculously expensive now. Really? I actually saw one from the original run go on eBay for like $5,000. Wow. Well, I guess it was a thousand print run and most of them were lost that does make sense exactly so naturally it was panned i couldn't find any contemporary reviews but i have seen later ones notable quotes include that they sounded like lumbotomized trap family singers oh my god without exaggeration it may stand as the worst album ever recorded and described at one point as hauntingly bad there's no reason to go for personal attacks. That's a bit far. You don't know how the criticism line of work goes, do you? Is it just yeah. being a massive dick? Yes. Have you learned <laughs> well, nothing from the internet? You know what? That's fair. I, oh, God, you know what? Now that I'm sure there's, like, plenty of online reviewers who have just loved to sunk, to sink their dang teeth into this one. Yeah. They don't deserve that. Naturally, they did kind of fade into obscurity. They were done playing regular gigs by 1973. The drummer got married, and she actually got kicked out of the band for that. Oh. Although, Is it although like that, she was that pres- idol oh. lifestyle. Hmm. Well, she was, however, present for the only other recording session that the Shags did in 1975, 
which wasn't released until 1982 as Shag's own thing. Which is interesting. It's still very offbeat. I wouldn't call it great, but the album sound actually sounds a lot more professional and polished. Well, that's not exactly a high bar, I guess. Yeah, but it's mostly composed of covers, and they actually cover My Pal Foot Foot on the album. the classics well to quote one review i saw there is something magical in seeing semi-competent the shags trying to make sense of incompetent the shags <laughs> yeah, you so, know what I, I can't say i'm not curious now by this point they had learned to keep time at least yeah that's a big step up interestingly enough probably the best song on the album is the only one of their originals that dot didn't write instead it was her sister betty that did it The album never really came to fruition during the band's lifetime, because they broke up after Austin died of a heart attack in 1975. Well, I mean, I guess, considering how they were formed, that that does check out. Yeah. If you're not being held hostage anymore, then, yeah, you, you escape. I have seen um, people go back and forth on whether or not he was abusive at the very least he was very overprotective sheltering and naive but their first instance of widespread popularity actually came in 1973 so we go back a little bit where frank zappa well-known avant-garde artist appeared on the dr demento show where he shared a few tracks from the album and proclaimed it as one of his favorites this is certainly in character for both of them. How oh, it's definitely quite a way to burst back onto the scene. Both names on there, but Philosophy of the World was eventually reissued in 1980 under Rounder Records. Rolling Stone magazine gave them Comeback of the Year honors, and it actually got fairly positive reviews, in a sense. In a sense? Those quotes I gave earlier were mostly from positive reviews. It's not good, but it has a charm to it. That's one way of putting it, I guess. <laughs> and in turn, there's been further praise from a number of names in the music industry, like Bonnie Raitt, Lester Bangs, and Kurt Cobain, who actually put Philosophy of the World at number five on his list of his top 50 albums. Jesus. <laughs> I don't get music, man. This this is all out of my scope. <laughs> now, now you know how I feel doing all the techno for the LSD episode. <laughs> Let's go back to that. I get that. Yeah, a common quote that's generally 
associated with them is that they were better than the Beatles, which I can't find a definitive source. It's been attributed to both Frank Zappa and Lester Bangs. <laughs> to be fair, that's sort of the go-to in the music industry, isn't it? Better than the Beatles? Are you, are you, so you're, are you saying that the Beatles are the citizen king of music? <laughs> are you saying that's an incorrect assessment? Hmm. In turn, this has led to a ton of reference in media, such as the film Empire Records. They were referenced on the Gilmore Girls, and they actually got a shout-out in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which are all the kind of things that would mention this. And it was cited as an influence by bands such as Sonic Youth and The Dead Milkmen, the latter of which actually referenced the band quite a bit in their song When I Get to Heaven. In turn, a tribute album full of covers was released in 2001. I don't recommend it. <laughs> what does that mean? Does you, you you would you recommend the the original work? Yes. I kind of would, yeah. They even had a stage musical made based off of the Shags in 2003. Which apparently won a few awards, actually. Man, I must be even more out of touch with music than I thought, because I had just never heard about any of this. I guess that's well, not that surprising. Admittedly, but. it was like a local theater thing. It got an off-Broadway production in 2011. But... Oh, okay. And it's original music, so... Mm. Like, they may cover one or two of them, but I don't know. It would... It's an interesting thing to make a musical about. I've certainly seen weirder things. Well, they... I know you have. There's a Broadway musical about the Shroud of Turin, for God's sake. I am not making this up. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that's a piece of knowledge you were eager to share. <clears throat> as a result, nowadays, the band is actually seen as one of the earliest examples of outsider music, which... What's that? You're not familiar with outsider music. Well, to quote Wikipedia, one sort of way of looking at it, outsider music is music created by self-taught or naive musicians. They usually exist from outside of the music establishment and oftentimes suffer from mental illness or intellectual disabilities. It's sort of a spin-off of the outsider art movement, which is, in turn, self-taught art. Part of me can't help but feel like some of this might be a bit mean-spirited, you know? Yeah, it's a bit ableist, but... Yeah. yeah. Personally, the way I view it is work that is intentionally as far from the mainstream as you can get i like that description better yeah admittedly it has some ties to avant-garde music which is outright intentionally experimental Mm -hmm. but there's actually a whole book about this which has some interesting thoughts on the matter songs in the key of z and of course philosophy of the world is the first thing on the compilation album that accompanies it god But yeah, they're in company with others such as, I've seen 
Captain Beefheart on there. Some people attribute Frank Zappa. Tiny Tim is a big one. Huh. Well, Which I mean, is... I guess I can see that as far as being unconventional goes. Exactly. Philosophy of the World is both one of the earliest albums considered outsider music and the earliest album generally cited as the worst album of all time. What an honor. Yeah. Congratulations. But, what are know, they up they, to nowadays? Are they are they dead now? Um, I was actually going to get into that. They did a performance in 1999 where they did a reunion. And in regards to the individual members, Helen, the drummer, died in 2006. They all went on to lead fairly regular lives, all things considered. Yeah, Betty prefers to stay out of the limelight, but has made appearances. She has stated that she is not fond of the Shag's album, probably because right. it's not exactly a happy time in her life. Yeah, that's definitely understandable. Yeah. Dot, on the other hand, Dot has embraced it. She actually has a oh, new yeah. band now, the Dot Wigan Band, which released an album, Ready Get Go, in 2013. For a second, gone in a flash. Can't stay too long. I have to dash. Get in the trouble. Get in for a crash. Watch out! Watch out! Ooh. I missed it by one eyelash. The limit. Speed limit. The limit. Speed it's a split critical assessment. I honestly don't think it's that bad. She does the songwriting and the singing. The instrumentation is done by other musicians, but is it just more like standard? Yeah. I mean, there's a few more novelty tracks, but... Okay. It depends on how much you can take it. But they, of course, also do a ton of covers of the Shags. They have reported that in order to accurately play their songs, they need to tune their guitars very flat. (laughs) You know, good for her. She's she's sort of embraced this unconventional fame, in a sense. I mean, I guess so. Part of me still, maybe I'm being cynical, but part of me still can't help but feel like a lot of this, maybe quote unquote appreciation isn't really with the most positive intent, you know? Um, Maybe I just say this as someone who can't really understand the appeal. And maybe it's wrong of me to assume that people are being, you know, mean to someone who, you know, they view as not being talented and maybe I shouldn't assume that because I just don't understand it myself, but... Which is fair. I, I don't know. Part of it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't par- be surprised if a lot of the sort of praise they've gotten over the years is ironic. Like, yeah, ironic enjoyment. Maybe it's just the culture we live in now that so seasons me towards people just, you know, bathing themselves in irony and... That that's like my go-to explanation for anything that's not quote-unquote conventionally good, and you know maybe that's wrong of me, but I don't know. From a modern perspective, that's just the first thing that jumps to my mind. We certainly see a lot of yeah, ironic you know ironically enjoyable music nowadays, especially yeah. with like you know amateur musicians. Oh God, don't even remind me, but. I do think that a lot of it is, and certainly a good portion of their fan base is in an ironic capacity. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's partially 
I mean, of course, the amateur nature, a lot of people have... A lot of the fans bring particular attention to the lyrics, as opposed to the music stylings, which... I mean, the lyrics have often been described as humanist, which is certainly one way to look at it. I suppose so. Yeah, and, of course, thanks to Dr. Demento, a lot of their appeal certainly comes from a comic perspective, since... You're right, It's Halloween did become a hit on his show around Halloween. <laughs> Damn, so it really did become that Halloween anthem they were looking for then, Yes, huh? precisely. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll need, I'll need to keep that in mind for my next Halloween party that I, I definitely throw for myself, Alone, I guess. in your apartment. On the other hand, you know, trying to avoid that cynical part of my mind, the idea of something that just sort of defies what our preconceptions about how music should be structured definitely has some merit as well, you know? Though yeah. part of me just wants to say there's a reason that music has some level of structure. But <laughs> hey, maybe it's good to think outside the box sometimes. Exactly. And to me, part of it is with the story where this certainly unique product came out of what was certainly terrible circumstances. There's yeah. sort of a childish charm to it, in a sense. Yeah, it because especially because it's not like, unlike something like avant-garde, I guess, it's not, or experimental, or it's not intentionally bad. It's just, it's yeah, completely, it's genuinely bad. <laughs> because yeah, it's yeah. made by people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, um, but they're trying. And that's kind of what's great about it. To be honest, I sort of see myself as a teenager in them to some degree. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. That's very true. I most certainly don't want to come across as the kind of person who posts, like, bad fan art Twitter accounts, go laugh at these people, or anything like that. Sometimes you just have to appreciate things that are just legitimately weird. and Yeah, just people going out there and giving things a shot, I guess. Exactly. Someone actually, a fan actually made a video for My Pal Foot Foot. Which, to me, sort of captures the charm in a way. Partially because it actually does include a picture of Foot Foot from one of the girls. Aww. It's animated entirely in a crayon style, which... Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, of course, like I said, not a great song, but it's... It has heart. That's the best way to look at it. It has heart. Yeah, you know what? I, I think I've actually been convinced over the course of this. I wouldn't actively listen to it voluntarily, necessarily. <laughs> but I can understand why some people would, like, have that sort of praise for it. Because it's like, it's sort of music in its most earnest form, you know? Like, yeah. there's no... They haven't been trained in any capacity. They're not adhering to how people view that music should be structured. It's just them saying, let's give this a shot. Let's try making music. There's no pretense. Yes, exactly. As someone who has tried and come up short for a lot of things, it is nice to see them get this sort of attention for it. And not all of it is bad. Man, I feel like I've had a real character arc over the course of this recording. (laughs) This, I'm proud redemp- of myself. This was the redemption episode for Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. What an asshole I was the previous episodes. I know. 
I would certainly recommend uh, listening to it at least once just to experience it. Even I'd still if you, say exactly once. <laughs> even if you don't like ever listen to any of them again. I'll admit, I find myself revisiting some of them. Admittedly, mostly for I still, I don't, this I don't episode's research, gonna, but... <laughs> I don't think I'm going to reach that point necessarily, but I can. I guess I can at least say I see what people see in it now. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe, I honestly can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> like I said in our Giant Claw episode, a lot of things considered the worst are often as a result of big names gone bad. Mm-hmm. This was just a sort of earnest attempt gone wrong. Yeah. Well, it's just, what do you do when you really have no idea what you're doing? The Jacob Savage story. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) You have to know what we're doing, otherwise no one will listen to this. (laughs) Well, if you're listening, thank you you. for tuning in to It's Symbolic. If you have a suggestion for something for us to cover, you can find us on Twitter at It's Symbolic PC. Or you can email us at itsymbolicpodcasts at gmail.com. And we, we also, also have an Instagram now, right? Yep. Oh, it's, it's called It's Symbolic Podcast. Where we will be posting visuals and additional information regarding our topic of discussion. I mean, I don't, I don't do any sort of social media or anything, so I'm sort of like, I'm just along for the ride, you know? I'm not contributing in any sense. One of these days, they'll put me to work. Yeah. But until then... Free ride, baby. <laughs> exactly. Do we need to do a send-off? None of us seem to enjoy it, and it sounds awkward. Uh, oh, can I send off by saying what was in the package this whole time? Because I feel oh, bad sure, about sure, not sure. saying it. Uh, oh, it was, just a, it was just a CD for... This is going to... <laughs> I was, I, I've been talking this whole time about how this doesn't line up with my music taste, and now I'm about to reveal my actual music oh, taste. It's going to be embarrassing. Which Vocaloid is it? No, it's not a Vocaloid. It's a it's a Taiko no Tatsujin soundtrack. So now you know. Anyway, well, I'm Ben. I'm here. <laughs> I'm Jacob. Join us next time when we examine that true horror of horrors: compulsory heterosexuality. Uh. It's Halloween!